Please go ahead and turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. This morning we're going to look at three chapters from the book of Numbers that recount the story of Balaam the prophet. These chapters are a record of an unusual or we might call it almost inconceivable but true account. In the story of Balaam, we find a man who professed obedience to God, but grappled with a greedy heart. The story of Balaam is, however, not just an isolated incident. It's referred to in several places in Scripture, reminding us of Balaam's sin and its consequences. The three chapters we'll be looking at this morning are Numbers 22 through Numbers 24. So for reference, the book of Numbers begins historically 13 months, so a year and one month, after Moses and the people of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. The main story of Balaam occurs during the sojourn of the Israelites in the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan River. The events take place at the close of 40 years of wandering, shortly before the death of Moses and the crossing of the Jordan into the Canaan proper. The Israelites at this point have already defeated two kings on this side of the Jordan, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Balak, not Balaam, Balak, king of Moab, consequently becomes alarmed and sends elders of Moab and of Midian to the prophet Balaam, son of Beor, in order to induce him to come and curse Israel. So, let's read through scripture here, uh, and let's unpack this story and see what we can learn from it. So, let's begin with Numbers chapter 22, verses 1 through 7. In those verses we read, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the feast for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. So just to kind of recap here, Balak, the king of Moab, had seen how the Israelites destroyed the Amorites. 
Balak didn't know this, but Israel was actually forbidden by God to attack Moab. Uh, We're not going to read the scripture right now, but Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 9 refers to this specifically. But he was at this point terrified that the same fate awaited him and his people as these other lands. So the Midianites were descendants of Abraham through Keturah. Keturah was a wife of Abraham after the death of Sarah. And you would see that in Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 4. Balaam was highly regarded by the Moabites and Midianites as a soothsayer, a fortune teller, and prophet who could bless or curse with his words. Now, in that day, a curse was a spoken word that was believed to bring misfortune upon the one against whom the curse was pronounced. All right, let's continue. Verses 8 through 12. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam goes to God. He almost word for word recounts what um, Balak said to him. And he asks God what he should do. God clearly tells Balaam not to go with these men and not to curse the people of Israel. Verses 13 through 18. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. So Balaam at this point tells the men correctly, that God doesn't want him to come with them. The princes of Moab go back to Balak and tell him that Balaam is unwilling to come. Balak sends even more princes this time and promises Balaam great honor. Not only that, Balak actually tells Balaam that he will do whatever Balaam tells him to do. The only stipulation is that Balaam must curse Israel. Balaam, again, says the right thing. He tells the men that regardless of the riches he might receive, he can't disobey God's commands. 
So let's continue. Verses 19 through 21. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. You know, it's interesting here that despite the clear word from God, Balaam tells the men that he needs to ask God one more time what he should do. It's as if Balaam is enticed by the potential for great riches and power. So he wants to see if God will, in essence, change his mind. God tells Balaam that he will permit him to go, but that he must only do what he commands. Continuing on, verses 22 through 31. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. So if we go all the way back to verse 20, we see that God had given Balaam permission to go. God knew that his motive wasn't right. Because of that, God's anger burned against Balaam because God knew that Balaam wasn't submissive to what he required. So God supernaturally permitted Balaam's donkey to see the angel of the Lord with his drawn sword and to speak to Balaam. The donkey avoided the angel and preserved Balaam's life. At that point, Balaam also saw the angel of the Lord, perhaps, and there's discussion on this, but perhaps Jesus Christ himself and submitted to God's will. Continuing on through verses 32 through 35, and the angel of the Lord said to him, 
Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. So just a summary here. The angel of the Lord tells Balaam that his way is perverse. In other words, he has wrong motives. Balaam repents, turns and offers to turn around. The angel of the Lord tells him to continue, but reiterates that he must speak only the words God has told him. Let's continue. Verses 36 through 41. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. Then Balaam went with Balak and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth. And Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal. And from there, he saw a fraction of the people. So we see here that Balaam arrives at the city of Moab. He's greeted by Balak. Balak essentially scolds Balaam for delaying and not believing in his power to bestow riches upon him. Balaam tells him that he has no power but the words of God only. Balak then offers sacrifices, likely to Baal, a false god, and in the morning takes Balaam to a place where he could see some of the people of Israel. Not all of them, but some of them. All right, on to chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said. And Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height and God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I have arranged the seven altars and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, from Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse 
whom God has not cursed. How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like this, like his. And Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies. And behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? So we see here that Balaam offers a sacrifice and God comes to Balaam. God gives him the words to speak. Balaam begins to deliver his first of four oracles or prophecies. Rather than cursing the people of Israel, he instead prophesies that God will bless the people of Israel as Balaam looks upon one-fourth of all the people of Israel. Balak was obviously displeased that Balaam didn't curse Israel, but Balaam could only speak the words God had put in his mouth. All right, let's continue. This is a longer passage. Verses 13 through 30. And Balak said to him, come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then then curse them for me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophim to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt, and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people as a lioness, it rises up and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. And Balak said to Balaam, do not curse them at all and do not bless them at all. But Balaam answered Balak, did I not tell you? All that the Lord says, that I must do. And Balak said to Balaam, Come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So, Balak 
takes Balaam to another high place. And, you know, it's interesting here that he points out that Balaam will only be able to see a few of the Israelites. Balak again tells Balaam to curse them. Balaam again offers a sacrifice. And again, God comes to Balaam. God again puts his words in Balaam's mouth. Balak anxiously asks Balaam what God has spoken. Balaam's second oracle, second prophecy, reaffirmed the Lord's determination to bless Israel. Verse 21 states that the sin of Israel was mercifully forgiven by God and would not stop his plan. The God who brought Israel out of Egypt would give victory over all her enemies. Balak proposes that Balaam neither curse nor bless the people. Balaam answers that he must only say what God gives him to say. Balak then proposes that they go to a third place and that perhaps God will allow him to curse the people of Israel. For the third time, Balaam offers a sacrifice. Let's continue now in chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. Like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters, water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched. He lay down like a lion and like a lioness. Who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. And behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now, behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So this one is a little different. Unlike the two previous oracles, Balaam doesn't offer a sacrifice. He sees all the tribes of Israel. And again, the spirit of God comes upon him. He proclaims that God has opened his eyes. He declares the beauty of God's people 
and how God is higher than Agag, an Amalekite king. He even refers to Israel's ultimate king who will come from Judah, the Messiah. He concludes by saying that those who bless Israel will ultimately reap God's blessing in the future. Balak is, of course, angry and questions why, since he has asked for curses, Balaam has instead blessed Israel three times now. Balaam responds by reiterating that he had said that even with the offer of riches, he would still have to speak the words given to him by God. Verses 15 through 25. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Asher takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kittim and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. So Balaam here, upon finishing that third oracle, immediately begins a fourth oracle. In this oracle, Balaam prophesies the future coming of Israel's king, who would literally crush the forehead of Moab. He continues by saying that Amalek will come to an end, that the Kenites or Midianites will be carried by Asher or Assyria, and that finally Assyria, Eber, and probably Israel herself will be afflicted by Cyprus or Rome until Cyprus comes to ruin. Then abruptly, verse 25 states that Balaam went back to his place and Balak went his way. We won't examine Numbers chapter 25 today, but sadly, if you read that scripture, we see the people of Israel begin worshiping the gods of Moab and engaging in sexual immorality with the Moabites. God's anger was kindled and a plague on Israel was placed. 24,000 died as a result of it. Because of Phineas's zeal for God's holiness, the plague was stopped. According to Numbers 31.16, this incident was brought about by the council of Balaam. Failing to curse Israel, he gave the Moabites directions on how to provoke the Lord's anger against his people. So, how does the story of Balaam and warnings in Scripture apply to us today? 
think there are several applications we can make, but we'll only look at three things. Number one, God knows our heart. Balaam's wayward heart that continued in wickedness is a telling reminder of the inability to hide our hearts from God. Even in the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, we see the true character of Balaam recalled. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. What we learn is to lean into what was actually preached on last Sunday, Psalm 139. We need to be in the habit of asking God to search our hearts, to see if there are any grievous or wicked ways, and lead us, as those verses say, in the way everlasting. Number two, we must not lead or entice others to sin. It's true that Jesus gives us a way to repent and reconcile. But in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, we read, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. In Mark 9:42, we read, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Those verses show us not only how much God hates sin, but how much he hates for us as Christians to lead others to sin. And number three, God is love. Notice what God says all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 5. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. I'd like to ask our music team to come up now as we consider God's love for us, toward us. Yes, we see in this story a man of greed. Yes, we see in this story the judgment of God because of the greed of one man and the sins of the people of Israel. But more than anything, we see that despite these sins, God loved the people of Israel, and today God loves us unconditionally. One of my favorite older hymns, The Love of God, and I'm probably going to cry, in the third stanza describes his love. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, 
and every man ascribed by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole that stretched from sky to sky. <laughs> 